Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You know what I want. Hey, that's that's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. 95 to 91, the Raptors defeat the Detroit Pistons, a very low-scoring game. There was blood drawn on both sides. There was a lot of defense played. There wasn't that much shooting on the floor, and both teams played pretty big. 95 to 91, the Raptors win. Just a few hours removed from a game that almost went into the 180s. Clippers versus Kings, the second-highest-scoring basketball game of all time in the NBA. And then the Raptors and Pistons at noon Eastern, they wind it back and they say, we're going to do about half of that. And um, so they do 95 to 91. Pascal Siakam in this game, absurd. Just considering the constraints offensively to kind of deal with all the size the Pistons were putting out there, camping in the lane, making sure they always had a big guy, whether it's Bagley, Stewart or Wiseman able to rotate to contest at the rim, cutting off the water there, making the Raptors shoot when they aren't able to shoot. And the fact that Pascal, what was his final line? 29, 8, 5, three steals, two blocks, and did so 47% from the four. He went 10 of 13 from the free throw line, scored eight of the last 10 of the Raptors points. He, he was tremendous. He drove them to this win. And, and the team as a whole, the defense was very impressive too. Pascal defensively, really strong game. Pirtle, as per usual, very strong defensive game. Um, Gary, a couple gambles that like, I was like, damn, why'd you go for that? But also he and Doughton both, I think, kind of like camping out in passing lanes and, and being present as these little ball hawks and thieves was nice too. Scotty had a tough game. Uh not the best matchup for him defensively. Jaden Ivey was cooking him at the point of attack. And Barnes is still pretty good about being able to switch off. And before Pearl came, this was a very strong aspect of his game because the Raptors switched more often. But if the Raptors are playing drop or they're like high drop or at the level or anything like that with Pirtle, Barnes can't really switch off. And if he gets beat, Pirtle steps up. Where's the rotation coming from? Are the Raptors putting the low man to come and cover? Do they have to tag the roller, right? And in a lot of cases, they do, but they, they actually stopped doing that, which was kind of interesting to see. But that usually wasn't with Ivy at the point of attack or, or Scotty, that combination. And and so there were some breakdowns. But Scotty, you know, he tried to, like, jumpstart the offense early. He really struggled with it. You could tell in this game the Raptors missed Fred Van Vliet's presence on offense a lot. Defensively, not so much. Offensively, his pick-and-roll offense, which has been ticking up a lot since January, they missed it dearly. There was no diversity to the offense. But um, Scotty, towards the end of the game, 
found some of the hit aheads, found some opportunities to drive while off ball, cutting into space, catching on the move, getting to the basket, and then pushing in transition and pseudo transition. He had a strong finish to the game. And he and Precious in particular drove the Raptors to a very successful stretch that lasted like seven minutes between the start of the fourth quarter into the five-minute mark without Pascal on the floor. And Pascal was massive in this game. The fact that they survived those minutes, huge commendations to both Precious and Scotty. And, and Scotty really for figuring out how to kind of work in um, some offensive success in the more stagnated aspects of the game because it was tough in this one. Um, most of the Raptors' success in that stretch was done in transition, in in broken plays and stuff like that. But Scotty still found a way to kind of make it work as the lead ball handler during that stretch. So a lot of stuff going on in this game, man. Um, the Raptors, they really grinded one out and largely on the strength of Pascal Siakam. They win four in a row, the largest winning streak of the season. They're now, what, 30 and 31 the climb to 500 it gets ever closer i think they will get there and then get over it and they're the pistons 15 wins on the season nothing to write home about but this is a raptors team that has been losing games when the opportunity was there and not really winning them they've lost a lot of close games they won this one they closed it out very nice to see this is a Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk. And it is, of course, brought to you by Goldfinger Law. And hey, if you need to contact somebody about some legal stuff, who better than Goldfinger? Because you know why? You only pay if you win. So if you win, good. I'm sure you're comfortable paying if you win. But if you lose, you don't have to pay. The upsides are, are inherent. They're obvious. If you're interested... Uh, you can call them at 416-730-1777. Okay, I want to talk about the end of the game. Pascal hits all his free throws, all four. That was good. Loved that. This was my favorite part of the game, though, outside of Pascal, like uh, putting Isaiah Livers on the ground, like hitting the brakes, pullback, snatchback dribble, getting to the rim and one. That was awesome to see. But against Orlando, the Raptors were able to close the game out. Why? Because Jakob Pertl was able to be the release valve when they were blitzing Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. He scored a lot of points in that game. Many people will remember. Against the Pelicans, when the Raptors are having a lot of trouble scoring the basketball down the stretch and the Pelicans, they're looming large there. What does Pertl do? A lot of offensive rebounds down the stretch. Because, guess what? They brought Larry Nance in to guard Pascal and so that they could blitz more of the actions to get the ball out of his hands. So, Pirtle, once again, a presence there. In this game, Pascal is very clearly the only guy who's able to create on offense for the Raptors in this one. Gary Trent Jr. scores some points in this game. He hits some shots. He takes a lot of them. But a lot of this is not really reliant on creation. It's more so that they're stacking possessions and set actions so that the ball ends up in Gary's hands. He has to be the play finisher. Pretty happy with his performance. 19 points on 20 shots is nothing to write home about, but regardless, the Raptors needed it. So Pascal's the only creator. The what, what a lot of teams will do to Pascal is they'll play deny defense on him with a smaller player who can pressure his ability to get the ball and then like escape out and give a bubble if he does get it. The deny defense was pretty good, but... With Pirtle coming out, 
and Scotty both coming out at the end, what they did was they brought all three of those guys above the break. And then they had Pascal back cut once the ball went into Pirtle's hands. Because many of the many players, many defenders would think they're about to trigger a dribble handoff. And that was what the Pistons, who had been stretched into kind of a five-out defense, they didn't have anybody back at the rim. They're in they're filled in both corners. One guy there, one guy there. Uh, this is a podcast. One guy in each corner. You can't see where I'm pointing. And the Raptors run that action twice in a row. A layup and a dunk for Pascal. And the dunk should have been an end one. Really great. Not fancy basketball. Not incredibly genius basketball. Just playing the right way. Seeing where the advantage is. Seeing what the defense is doing that works for them. And then kind of inverting that and being like, okay, here's the advantage for us. They found it. They scored down the stretch. Just really nice to see. Good basketball. That's good basketball, baby. Thank you for playing that way. And that's kind of what I mean. I've been long-winded on this point, but Jakob has been the key. Maybe not the main motivator game over game, but he's been the key to unlocking some of these schemes that are being thrown at the Raptors. Some of these defensive wrinkles have hard answers. And the answers get easier when you have certain personnel. This is how basketball works, right? And the Raptors being able to go to Pirtle as a release valve down the stretch in three different variations, or, well, the one release valve wasn't really a release valve. He's he's getting smalls on him and going and getting offensive rebounds against the Pelicans. But I just wanted to talk about that because that's huge. That's massive. Three games that the Raptors, maybe they don't necessarily win these games if they don't have that counter to go to. You have to be able to do stuff because defenses can take away a couple things. Truthfully, unless it's like Kevin Durant, then there's always something on the table with the pull-up jumper. But if you're a team that needs to get downhill, force rotation, do all this kind of stuff, and you can't just rely on like jumper, 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 you have to be able to move the defense around and do stuff like that. The Raptors struggled at it. For a lot of the game, they relied on Pascal, the jumper, the drive, the ability to navigate, the fact that <laughs> the Pistons were camping guys in the lane, big guys, but they found something late. And Pirtle's been a part of this in all these wins lately. So just like, hell yeah, Jakob Pirtle. And truthfully, he was a part of the win against the Spurs too, because he didn't really... <laughs> Pirtle did not have a fantastic game against the Raptors in the last game he played against them, so... Yeah, just really nice to see. And the defense is obvious too. The Raptors, they benefit so much. Like a couple of the threes in this game, a low scoring game, two Isaiah Livers threes. You know, 91 points, six points is a big deal. Isaiah Livers, he hit three triples. The Pistons as a whole hit six. Two of Isaiah Livers triples were like very difficult one pass away threes. You you can't really stop that as a defense. And I think one of them was on an, a really great OG contest. The space was covered. He contested it well. And like sometimes you're going to score in NBA basketball. But the Raptors, it seems clear, even though Bagley had 21 and 18, that wasn't on Pirtle, in my opinion. That was Precious and Boucher had a really tough time containing him, as did Siakam, OG, and Barnes when they were involved in the front court stuff with him. But the Raptors being able to, I know Ivy got downhill a decent amount. He had 10 assists in this game, some laydowns, some kickouts, yes. But the fact that the Raptors were able to kind of limit those three-pointers and still limit the traditional type of rim pressure 
because of their their digs and the fact that Pearl was present there more often. It's a wonderful change to the defense. If Pirtle's not there, the Raptors lose this game. Like, full stop. They they just don't win this game if Pirtle isn't there. And that's, um, you know, as I talked about at the start, it's been, it's been a big deal over these this four-game winning streak. Has Pirtle written all over it, you know? Very nice to see. Uh, man, Precious. So Precious struggled with the physicality of Bagley and the length of Bagley. Um, that, that was pretty obvious, but... He did find his way, uh, particularly that fourth quarter stretch where he's getting to the rim for an end one. He's pushing pace in transition. There's a couple, like there's a stampede cut where he gets to the rim and gets free throws. Ten points, six boards, uh, three assists in this one, four of seven from the line. We're, he could have been better this whole game, but he found it when he needed to. Just like Scotty, 12, seven, and four, he found it when he needed to. The Raptors didn't have a lot to go to. That's why I don't mind Gary Trent having 19 points on 20 shots. You can't turn your nose up in search of efficiency when it's just not there. Pascal found it, sure, 29 points on 19 shots. Like, he found it, but, I mean, <laughs> the rest of the team, like, OG 2 of 7, Jakob 3 of 8, Gary 7 of 20, Scotty 5 of 17, Precious 3 of 8, Doughton 2 of 5, Boucher to a four. There's no efficiency there. And that's that also is the case on the other side. Like, Bagley has 21 and 18. He took 19 shots to get his 21. He went three of eight from the free throw line. You know, he had 11 offensive rebounds. The Raptors, being able to kind of keep the play in front of them, sure, they gave up a lot on the back end, but keep the play in front of them defensively and grind it out offensively, it's, that's the whole reason they won this game. And Pascal, obviously. You have to be able to create somewhere. And, you know, Pascal defensively was really impressive in this game, too. He had the one play where he turned his back on. It was such a bad defensive play, such a bad defensive play. Luckily, it wasn't um, indicative of his overall performance, but he turned his back to the ball when he was one pass away. The ball went to Bogdanovich. As the ball was coming there, Pascal realized what was happening. It's a, it's an easy blow by for a layup. Nurse called a timeout. He was pissed, as he as he should be, Pascal. As tired as he was, I'm sure, shouldn't be taking a break on a play like that. If you're going to take a break, you got to do it when you're like two passes away and still floating in the lane. You're still a deterrent. You can't float in the lane if you're one pass away and not engaged. It just doesn't work that way. Um, but yeah, it's really impressive defensive performance for him. He he was able to keep a lot of guys in front of him down the stretch. Isaiah Livers, he also, there was like four possessions on Jaden Ivey where Ivey just couldn't bust them up. And, you know, and there's a lot of pick and roll coverage where Pascal either blitzed or hedged. And it was like, it was impressive. He's switching most of the time, but in some of those, a little bit more, if it's a hedge, it's a little more conservative. If it's a blitz, it's a little bit more aggressive, but just across a bunch of different types of schemes, he was pretty impressive. I will say I'm pretty, well, pretty disappointed with OG's performance offensively. Six points, took seven shots, only took two threes. I I don't want to be too harsh because OG, this is, you know, I talked about this in the last reaction podcast when I asked Nurse about shooting and he quickly cited OG as a 40% shooter. And it's just like, that hasn't been the case for two years. He's been closer to like 35, 36%. He had a broken hand last year. He has an injured wrist right now, even if he's playing. There's no volume there. And as far as his ability to kind of create off the bounce and then pressure the rim, he had a couple things go well in this game. But for the most part, when the ball hit his hands, you're not getting anything out of these offensive possessions. 
that's tough. Very tough for the Raptors to get around because in this game, how many threes they hit? They hit nine threes. Sorry, seven threes. Seven of 26, 27%. The last game, I think they won and they shot 29% from three. And it's just very hard to win games. Thank goodness the defense is way better with Pirtle, but it's harder to win games if you're not hitting threes. You know, they, they won the three-point battle in this game, crazily enough. You know, they won it by three. But it's just, OG has to be able to shoot if he's out there. And I don't want to be too harsh because he's had so much injury to that hand or wrist or just like part of his shot mechanics have to be affected. And the driving game has stagnated. The playmaking has stagnated. We're just looking for an offensive step or a return to normalcy. And like he was there. He had a stretch where he was shooting quite well from three. And then, of course, he injures his wrist. It's just like he can't catch a break. Even if he was stagnating as far as certain terms and types of creation, he had his three-point shot that he could settle back into the offense and be a release valve guy in that way. And he's still a great cutter, and he can still muscle around on the inside. I mean, most of the baskets he had in this game, of which there were only two, is is kind of like using his body, his strength, and his awareness to get into a dangerous spot and receive the ball and go up at the basket. But it's just, you're seeing a guy get things taken from him. And I hope it comes back soon. It's just tough. Tough to watch in that respect. Um, Jeff Doughton, I think, deserves like a little piece on him before we get out of here. Four points, one rebound, one steal. 20 minutes played, basically. I thought... He was good. I normally, if this was like a regular game and it looks the same as a lot of other Raptors games and the Raptors end up scoring like 116 points and Doughton plays 20 minutes, doesn't have an assist, only scores four points, isn't able to create really anything. Like he had a couple looks he created, but he struggled mostly. When the Raptors ran pick and roll, he was hesitant to turn it downhill. I understand why. He didn't want to be put in a position where he's hitting mid-range shots or floaters, being forced to take those. Coming off the bench, especially as a two-way guy, you want your shot profile to look efficient and you want to take the right shots. In the G League, Jeff can hit every shot under the sun and especially those pull-ups in the lane. At the NBA level, I understand his hesitancy to kind of be like, I'm the release valve on this possession. The first option on a pick and roll is to score. Let me be that guy. So... When the defense was kind of sitting in the lane, he was like, I'm not going to try and force it this way. It may have been better if he did, but I understand why he didn't. So the limitations were there offensively. And he did get to the rim a couple times, which was nice. But for the most part, it was offensively, he wasn't adding much. Defensively, though, I thought he was great. He continues to be very impressive defensively, especially as it pertains to containing ball handlers. And, you know, the off-ball stuff, He's he's right on par. He understands what the Raptors are trying to do. It's simpler now. Yaka Pirtle talks about how it's like complex and there's like you're out of position and you have to trust guys. But, you know, for him coming from a conservative Spurs scheme, yes. But for the Raptors, it's actually gotten more conservative since he's there. And man, Doughton's been good defensively every time he's touched the floor, basically. If he figures out, get some of that confidence going to look for his own offense, because he's got the wiggle, man. He's quick, blinding first step. He can finish at the rim, continue to work on those in-between reps, continue to work on that catch-and-shoot jumper from three in particular. 
We'll see what happens. But I like that Delton Jr. is getting the nod. And I was asked on Twitter, is this you know an, an indictment on Flynn that the Raptors were so clearly looking for shooting and he didn't play? Yeah, it's it's not great for Flynn. But Flynn has had not the best look. Like he hasn't ha- he hasn't been given a lot as far as the incubator of development. The Raptors have not helped him a ton in that regard. They haven't given him like a pick and roll partner that would help him succeed, given him a lot of possessions. It's been fits and starts for him, and he's been told to be like a scorer off the bench. He just hasn't had the start to his NBA career that he wants. But he's also had way more opportunity than Doughton. And Flynn, when he's had good opportunities, has not always made good on it. And probably more often than not, he hasn't. And so Doughton's getting the looks. And I don't know what this looks like once Fred comes back, but I'm happy for the guy, like extremely happy for him. Um, the Raptors decided not to get, send him to the 905. They kept him on this trip. And and the rewards, we're seeing them. Good. I'm, I'm so glad. <laughs> Reggie Evans award winner has to be Pascal, I think. It's... He worked so hard in this game. And like I brought up the one, you know, mess up on defense, but he really worked hard on that end. He w- he worked hard. He was a defensive playmaker. And my goodness, did he do everything on offense? So Reggie Evans Award, man, goes goes right to him. Uh top quick reaction comment is from DS quote. Ananobi disappeared offensively today, but his defense on Bogdanovich was stellar. Bagley on the other side would have been the man of the match had the Pistons won. Hope Fred is back tomorrow. We need some organization. A bit chaotic offensively, end quote. So this is kind of, I know Lewis and I are going to have a discussion, a podcast about the piece he wrote where he went, he combed through a ton of numbers about Fred Van Vliet's playmaking, saying he's not a selfish player because that has been a prevailing narrative um, for some time. I don't think that Fred is an overtly selfish player. Although, as far as his playmaking, Lewis and I do disagree about the effectiveness. We'll talk about that. Undeniably, though, as I stated at the top of this podcast, the Raptors aren't better offensively without Fred. I know it's people love the idea that like new is better. And it's like if you drop Fred, this Raptors team, they will soar and there'll be all these different things. It's like you want as many good players as possible. And Fred is a good player for the different types of defense you're going to see. When the Pistons, who they're good at one form of defense in this game, protecting the rim because they're playing very big and they're just sitting guys in the lane. You know what beats that? A pull-up three, a catch-and-shoot three. And Fred, you know, even the ability to make teams step out and they still step out on him, they still play higher in the pick-and-roll on him, that would have completely changed the way that the Pistons would have had to try and succeed defensively and having him as a counter to that would have been good he he's been a good offensive player very good over the last month and a half he's kind of left the start of the season slump behind him it's been nice to see the defense is another story but i i will not uh contribute to the idea that um fred makes this team worse offensively and ds won't either he's you're correct ds i hope fred is back tomorrow as well and he will help uh, add to the offense, certainly. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, Raptors win four in a row. Let's go. The road to uh, a higher seed 
is is well on its way and and the playoffs okay thanks for tuning in um if you're watching on youtube which maybe you are i don't even know when this comes out on youtube like the video subscribe the most important one subscribe to the the website raptorsrepublic.com and if you're listening on the podcast channel just thanks for letting me chop it up with you thanks for tuning in and whether you got into this in the morning or at night have a blessed day and goodbye